Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 23 of Cardboard Philosophy. And joining us on the call today, we have the favorites, the huge, the co-hosts, Robert and Steven. How's it going, guys? It's going great. Hello. And we got another guy sipping on some uh, coffee there, by the looks of it, looking uh, fly. <laughs> oh, thank you. Baseball cap. Zach Dixon from Ivy Studios. How's it going, sir? Hello. It's going good. How are you all? Thanks for having I me. I like the idea that we describe the guest in detail. <laughs> like visually? You got you to take Visual, it all yeah, in. Just, just so yeah. people know. <laughs> the full <laughs> experience. It's all part of it. I thought it was a bold choice to wear both mauve and teal at the same day, <laughs> as well as that yellow tie. Like, bold, <laughs> but distinctive. Uh, you know? That's that's what most people say about me. <laughs> uh, let's uh, jump straight to it. Roll some dice and uh, see where we land. And we got a number 13, uh, Toy Factor. When is Toy Factor good? And was it a waste of space, money, materials, and just a gimmick? Is it always a gimmick on some level? Or is there a reason to bling out a game? And this is a Robert question. I mean, you stole my thunder, so yeah, I did. Whatever. <laughs> I forgot how our podcast goes. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll, I'll talk about the impetus of this question. Sure. Um, just generally, as a person who's a minimalist, I don't like to spend money on bling that doesn't have any functionality. But I think a, a pretty good way to sell games is via Toy Factor. I've seen lots of stuff like that. Just thinking about Kickstarter and minis are the way to make money on Kickstarter. But I can think of other games that have some some level of Toy Factor. Um, that aren't necessarily minis. So like there's that cooperative game called The Loop where it's like a cube tower mm -hmm. and it's a pandemic style game. But instead of the the card flip telling you where to put the the bad stuff, you throw it into a cube tower and that tells you where the bad stuff goes. Um, so cube towers are another kind of toy factor. So yeah, just generally like, is that a gimmick? Is it not? Is there some mechanical like design reason to use that? Or is it purely for marketing? All these kinds of questions. Robert. <laughs> Yeah, Robert. Robert, <laughs> what, what, what a boring, what a boring life you're describing. Only buying things for their functionality. Live a little, man. <laughs> Games are for fun. No, yeah, that's fair. Well, that's fair. I think that's actually a great first argument, though, right? Like, it's fun. Games are fun. They're meant to be fun. It's meant to make you have fun. And so, I think that is at least my first argument for anything that's like toy factor or. You know, like, where is the line between gimmick and just fun? It just makes it more fun to interact with. I think there's an important distinction to make right off the hop about what we're going to define a toy as, because all of those examples are not what I would define as a toy in a game. Um, potentially, I could see it as being excessive. Okay. But, like, I don't think a dice tower as being a toy, because you can't really do anything with that, aside from throw cubes into it or throw dice into it, and it's going to spit stuff out. When I think toy factor in a game, I'm thinking of like an Ankh, I'm thinking Blood Rage, I'm thinking uh, Cthulhu Wars, something with a lot of plastic in the box, and something where it's basically action figures as game pieces, is kind of where I start to more so align with it being a toy. So where is the line between a mechanic and a toy then? 
I think like toy factor to me is like the the feeling of the object. It's a little bit nebulous, but I think it's just something like in and of itself, it is a fun thing, right? Like it's a figure, like a figure is fun. Like you would just buy a figure to be a figure. And so like, there's just a, I think to me it's tactile. There is like a mm-hmm. tactile something that is just like, it's fun. I think it's fun and it's a toy. Yeah. I think if you want to reach out and pick it up and touch it, that's an indication that there's some level of like, like a like a toy. Like I think when we say a toy factor, we by toy we mean like a thing that a child would play with, right? And to me, it implies like you want to pick it up and manipulate it with your hands. You want to touch it. And so I think I'm kind of it's kind of what Zach's saying. Like it doesn't work in TTS, basically <laughs> tabletop simulator. Here's going to be the I think the key place that at least Robert and I differ on this is that I think. Like so, Robert, you're you're a game designer. I am a creative director turned game designer. I think that like there is no distinction between like it is. I, I have a very like holistic view of games, right? Like it is all the game. Like it is yes. not like the game mm-hmm. is not just the game design. It's not just the function yes. of it. Like I think that like like we make music for like we make custom music for like Moonrakers. Like that is a part of moonrakers the board game like we Mm -hmm. we do a tutorial video like that is a part of the board game we do a um a kickstarter like that kickstarter experience is in a small way like a part of the game itself and so like i i view these things as like extremely integrated like are they necessary no but they are still part of like the game and so like in that sense i don't think I think this is maybe a stronger <laughs> take than I actually have, but like, like there's no such thing as the gimmick or is it all gimmick? <laughs> <laughs> like Evan said at the top, like, is it all kind of a gimmick on some level? Like it all is kind of a game. It's all kind of fun. It's all kind, like games are toys. You know what I mean? Like on some level, I, I, I feel like I'm kind of agreeing with you, Zach. Um, I mean, I think I also agree with Zach. I, mean, I think you're saying like game, like the game is a product. Yes. It's not just the game, right? It's everything. It's the product. That's what you're delivering. That's what people yeah. are buying. Yes. I, the, the place that I come from with the functionality thing is more like I get more enjoyment from playing two games than I do from playing one blinged out game. And so if it just comes like practically, I would rather own two different games that are not blinged out than one blinged out game. Do and you? The, the toys cost money. Okay. Huh? Well, like, what? so there's like what the two types of fun, right? Like there's like the, the fun that's like fun while you're playing it. And then there's the fun that it's like fun, like looking back on it like that like further yeah. perspective like do you actually mm-hmm. think that you get more enjoyment out of playing two different games rather than like one game that you'll remember forever because of like it's it's magical experience i would prefer the magical experience but the experience won't be because of toys i'm just saying like if, I, if we have <laughs> it, it might be a little g- bit <laughs> it, 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 it's a factor it's definitely a factor <laughs> it's definitely a factor but for example uh, Hansa Teutonica has no toy factor. Would you agree with with this? Is there a toy factor in Hansa Teutonica? Absolutely not. Well, I see. This is where I think it does get tricky because, again, I think a case could be made for the entire board game is a toy. Okay, Mister Pedantic over here. <laughs> okay, well, at least how we're you know dividing it here. Like, yeah. is there a toy there? It's cubes, a board. And four little player boards. That's all the components in that game. I think when people talk about toy factor when it comes to board games, they are talking about like, like this is a toy, but it doesn't have the toy factor in that. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. 
yeah, it's hard, it's hard to define. So I think we can all agree that board games are a toy in that they are there to be played with and engaged with. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. at what point do the components in the box become toys that like I could give a kid Onk and they wouldn't play Onk. They would just play Gods of Egypt and they'd be like smashing their figurines together. Mm-hmm. That to me is toy factor because yeah. you can literally use those minis as toys. Oh, yeah. And that's why I have a bit of an issue with calling like a dice tower a toy. Okay. It kind of is, but you can't really say, here, Jimmy, here's a dice tower. And they're going to go, oh, cool. This will go great with my Millennium Falcon, right? Okay. 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 Yeah. Just to use a more uh, or a less, I guess, common example, there's a board game called Strike, uh, uh-huh. which was recently featured on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, which is how I got this on my radar. But the box is part of the game and that the box has this plastic um well that's a good word for it well that you throw your dice into and it's just kind of like you're throwing dice into this arena they've made the box part of the experience of strike but i wouldn't say that that makes the box a toy it makes the box part of the game but i wouldn't really call that a toy maybe a gimmick yeah i think i'm i'm with you i'm close i think we're all like hovering around the same definition right i think we understand what we're talking about now that's a good example, though, Evan, because it's like the game is like you need it, right? You need like the game is about throwing the dice into this well and them hitting the dice or bumping into each other. And it's not really like a toy, like a kid wouldn't really go off and play with these dice in this arena. But, you know, maybe, but not really. My kids so, literally do. But but yeah. but yeah, but I could see it, it, it starts to have that kind of feel where it is a little bit toy factory where it's like it, it's kind of about the actual physicality of the pieces interacting i would say like in the case of strike the toy is so much a part of the game because the whole game is about the dice hitting Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. right and so you need some arena to do that Mm -hmm. whereas in something like say fractured sky which came with a very deluxe (laughs) edition that had magnets that you could that the minis would have magnets Mm -hmm. on them that is completely unnecessary (laughs) and i think then it's a toy factor like it's not like a game mechanic hinges on the on the magnetism right they don't need to be magnetic Whereas in Strike, you need there to be some, you know, closed space for the dice to bump each other. So I think that's the difference for me. It's like, without this toy, would the game still work? And I think in, in the case of Strike, no. In the case of Fractured Sky, yes, it would still work without it. So that's what I'm talking about when I say toys. And I'll probably beat Zach to it, but I think there's probably like an argument for if the magnets help like speed the game up or make it go smoothly, now... You're in, no, no, no. I'm not saying it makes the difference. It doesn't. It like I, I definitely understand the distinction you're making of the game functionally does not work if you don't have like a controlled environment yeah. to roll the dice in. Versus Fracture Sky, you can still use tokens. You can still cover them. They just don't magnet and stay together nicely. Or you know, like, but there is an advantage mm-hmm. there. It does make the experience smoother. But that's not why people are buying them. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that, uh, that distinction on our behalf. But no, we just made them because they're cool. We just made them because they're fun. <laughs> they're just really fun. Um, and I, you know, I want them. Like, they make my experience more enjoyable and, you know, took a bet that mm-hmm. they will make other people's experience more enjoyable and more memorable. And, like, what are we doing here if we're not trying to make games for, you know, that, that give people memorable, like, experiences mm-hmm. that are just really fun to interact with like that is what's so yeah. great about like one of the things that is so great about this medium it is 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 a it is an experiential tactile medium which like there are very few of um and so like that's why i have a hard time labeling anything as gimmicky like if people like it 
like it, it, because because the tactile nature of the medium is like one of the very unique things about it um which is why we make a lot of the things that we make does the inclusion of toys add to the theater of the mind of the experience because if you were to sell blood rage with just cubes instead of the little viking minis you would have still the same game but it would be a different experience overall partially because the footprint's Mm going to be smaller but also because instead of me saying ah here's a sea monster it's ha ha here's a large gray cube does that oh my God. contribute Jesus, to it? Jesus, nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I definitely think it does. One, I think it's like, all, it is oftentimes easier to learn to play a game or like strategize around a game if there's like tight theming tied towards like things that you are doing. And so if like the visuals and like the tactile experience can line up well with that theme and with those mechanics i think it makes the game it gives it can give the game more like implied stakes to match the game design stakes um and also just like help people remember what they're doing and why they're doing it in like a very one-to-one way however Mm -hmm. i will caveat that myself like i i do enjoy abstract art like i do i do think that there is like i would prefer a like I would prefer a stylized animated 3D film to a like hyper realistic one because I enjoy the experience of like allowing my mind to fill in gaps and fill in details, which is actually why I'm not like like massive mini guy. Like we don't have games that have like like a bajillion minis in them. Like I, I like to like leave space for people to imagine into them. So I'm I'm giving a counterpoint to my own point. For sure. But uh, yeah, I also have a counterpoint to my own point. As Evan was talking about the experience of the game, I remembered Modern Art comes with a gavel. Mm. It's an auction game. <laughs> um, ding. And the yep, there's the ding. And the fact that it comes with a gavel just makes it more fun. And it is completely unnecessary and useless. Well, some versions don't come with uh, it, right? It's true, but all the yeah, versions yeah, I've yeah. seen have a have a gavel in it. Um, and I think the most popular one is the Simon version. It has yeah. a gavel. As someone who owns a version without a gavel. I do think it hurts the experience. Yeah. Mm. And it's just more fun. I'm also realizing what the ding was for now that I looked up modern art and who the designer was. Well, don't say I, that I'm, out loud. I'm not shocked. <laughs> well, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Zach didn't know. <laughs> Kinetia game. We got to go, guys. Cut it. But like in the case of modern art, I don't know if that really increases the costs that much. Like probably a dollar or two on my end. But I don't think it's as big of a difference as like a whole new game, right? Mm-hmm. That that's kind of where it loses me. When when the toy or the gimmick I feel like costs the amount of a whole new game, that's when I'm like, I don't think it's worth it anymore. I have another maybe maybe good example, I'll bring it up, but there's a party game called Blob Party. And it's kind of similar, like you're just one or something, you're all I can't remember exactly. It's you write a word, you're all trying to match words, and ultimately like the game, like you could just win the first round if everybody writes down the exact same word. The whole goal is to everybody match up. But assuming you have, say, six people and these two people write the same word and maybe these three people write a different word that's the same, they would sort of form a team. Anybody that writes the same word kind of forms a team. And so in the game, it comes with a little cup of Play-Doh and little googly eyes. And so every person at the start of the game gets a little wad of Play-Doh and they stick a little googly eye on it and you get a little moment of being able to like create this little character out of your Play-Doh and then as the game goes on, if you join teams with somebody, you like smush your Play-Doh characters together. And now you have like a blob of Play-Doh with two little eyes. 
you do not need that Play-Doh. Like you could just sit next to each other or you could just have cards or like pieces that you just put next to each other. You know what I mean? Like you could, there's a million different ways that you could like functionally make that clear, but there is something about the smooshing together of the Play-Doh that does kind of really communicate and drive home the idea of, okay, we are on a team now. These were our colors. We are now one. The whole goal of the game is we all ultimately want to come together. So it kind of helps to like, like sort of what Zach was saying, like teaching the game, understanding what you're trying to do, what has happened, what my goal is, that those kinds of things. Like it just reinforces that. And the first time I played it, we all started laughing. As soon as we opened the box, we were just like, ha ha ha, look at these googly eyes. Oh, you know, like we were just like little kids for a moment, like making these little Play-Doh things. Um, so I absolutely think it added to like the experience. I love that like personification as well that is happening there. Like I think there's something like deep down that like changes about your interaction with that experience mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a little guy. Absolutely. It's a little guy or a little girl. Like it's this little thing. <laughs> like I'm like, I gotta, I gotta protect it or I gotta, you know, like when, when you can get that, like it helps you get emotionally invested. And I think toys can definitely do that. Yeah. And the first mm-hmm. time I played it here, like at home with my wife and some friends, um, I like was quickly teaching. I'm like, okay, so you just like, you know, make your little dude stick the eye on. And I was surprised. I mean, people spent five full minutes like making and I was like you're gonna mush them together like you don't have to make them perfect and they were like no 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 we really like we've got to get this right I want my character to be cute and I want him you know like it helps you get like invested in the game when you can like make your own little character um, mm-hmm. Play-Doh AP yeah <laughs> <laughs> what about like dexterity games are all dexterity games or most do they all kind of have some toy factor or are there any that like don't I mean I guess Maybe like Crokinole, like you wouldn't really play with the discs. I mean, they're kind of fun, but not really. So this is anecdotal, but I've actually avoided dexterity games because they have a bit of a toy factor to them, which is just, I I don't know if I saw it as being beneath me or what, but I've actually purchased a couple of dexterity games in the last month and a bit because I've gone, I've just never really engaged in this Mm -hmm. medium before, but I'm probably selling myself short on some experiences because of that. Haven't got them yet, but like <laughs> anecdotally, yes, I have viewed those as being more toy-ish because you're literally just throwing chips at each other mm. or whatever. Like, so again, like by my definition of toy, that wouldn't be a toy because it's necessary for the game. Like the game is the mm, toy and so yeah. it's no longer a toy factor. It's no longer some unnecessary extra thing. And when I say unnecessary, I mean unnecessary for the game to function well. I don't mean unnecessary to own because apparently some people find it very necessary to own these things right um that's what that's what i mean when i say unnecessary. so i think you guys have slightly different definitions then right i I just make an exception for dexterity games the other element of this that i wanted to touch on was just like accessibility in at least like cost like i think early on our studio was just like i was just gonna make the games that we want to make um, and that we think is like the most fun version of that. But I also think, you know, in, in games that we've come out with recently, we've, we've got two versions like of Fractured Sky, right? Like the one that is quite expensive, has magnets and minis. And then we also have a, you know, a, a cheaper version. And I do think that that is, I don't know, it's certainly a choice that publishers make, right? It's like, how, how accessible is this going to be from a like cost standpoint, from a setup standpoint, from a like a space standpoint? for this and I, I think that is a, a big consideration especially is like I think it's important to include as many people as possible in in your game experiences is there ever a discussion around maybe we shouldn't make the cheap version because people will buy that and they'll have less fun 
Like the game, like if you believe the game is more fun with the more expensive version, why offer a less fun version? I guess. Like, is that ever a consideration? Because like, imagine that I don't know some really expensive game, like um, I don't know Rising Sun or whatever, was like a hundred bucks, tons of minis. Imagine they made one with cubes. People might buy the cube version, and then they'll be like, "This game's boring, right?" Oh, yeah. There's like mm-hmm. some some risk of people not having as much fun. I mean, yeah, I feel like it's a little bit like like movies. It's just like Nolan mm-hmm. wants to, you to watch Oppenheimer in <laughs> seventy millimeter IMAX, but like he also wants a lot of people to watch it, and they're going to watch it on a SD screen on a plane uh, or <laughs> yeah. you know on their phone in the bathroom. Like that's just like you, you kind of can't control. If you want to like appeal to a wide audience at some point, like you're going to make sacrifices. And so yeah. it's just a decision about how much you want to sacrifice. And some people are more snobby about it than others. <laughs> this just came up recently. This Maybe this is tangential, but like uh, the new Elizabeth Hargre- uh, the Fox and the, the Fox experiment. Worms. Yeah. Oh, okay. It seems a lot of folks are getting <laughs> the Fox and the worms, Fox and the worms. <laughs> A lot of folks are getting the neoprene play mats that I think are like misaligned or something about the print is off or they're not getting them entirely. Like something about the like the printing got kind of messed up. And people, there are tons of people on BGG leaving it like one star reviews because they're upset about they didn't get their mats or something. And it's kind of this weird thing where like that has nothing to do with the game. And I mean, <laughs> Zach was saying, I mean, Yes, the Kickstarter campaign is kind of maybe part of the larger experience of the game to a degree, but like to just bomb her with one-star reviews because the the neoprene mat was a little printed or didn't get included or you, you know, you didn't I mean, I understand the frustration of not getting something you paid money for, but like take that up with customer support, man. I don't know. I just it Yeah. I think this means that there needs to be BGG pages for publishers so you can go give a one to the publisher. And not you can the rate the publisher themselves or something. Yeah, like I mean, people just want to be heard, so I understand it. I definitely understand the frustration. Um, um, but I can understand her frustration too of being like, like "This is not, not the game, though." Uh, yeah, that's tough. What is the um, the Dark Tower game with the big, the big uh-huh, mechanic? Return to Dark Return Tower. I've not played. Have you? Have you all played that game? Like that just like seems like the biggest like toy in a board game that yeah. there is. Yes. And I was curious if you all had any thoughts on that specific. I, I just see it at like every con I'm at. And I'm just like, wow, that's a cool looking toy. So that I actually think is a toy, even though it is also <laughs> functionally a cube tower. And the reason I think it's a toy is because it's a cube tower. You could just make a cube tower, okay. but they've gone a couple steps further into adding Bluetooth to it and dialogue and sound effects. Now, do those add to the experience of it all? Probably. Yeah. Would I get as much fun if we were just doing the voice around the table and it just looked like an evil tower and it was just a cube tower like Marrakesh? Also, yes, personally. Now, that's a little bit more anecdotal, but I think um, to Robert's point, like you could strip that back a little bit and it would be the same experience without having the batteries and the Bluetooth and the voice acting all thrown in there because the table will organically create that experience through either someone just throwing on a playlist or people doing goofy voices. Well, I don't think it would be the same experience. I think it would be, it's impossible to replicate an experience. Like the experience with the Bluetooth tower is its own thing. The experience with your friends making noise is its own thing. The question is more like, are they equally fun, right? If the ultimate goal is to have fun, then it's like, eh, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm not saying that you can replicate. Like, I don't think playing Fractured Sky with my bad version with without the magnets is going to be the same experience as with the magnets. There's not going to be the clickety-clack. 
But am I going to have as much fun personally? Yes. It's not true. It's a that, lie. That's kind of it's a, it's a lie, it. Robin. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll have 90, maybe like 90, 95% as much fun, I think. <laughs> 95% as much fun? You, you, right. are, you, are you telling me that, that you do not think magnets are fun? Do you think magnets are fun? Okay, yes. there you go. so, so <laughs> the, there is a net bonus of playing Fractured Sky with magnets because you think Fractured Sky is fun, then you add the magnets to it, that is a more fun experience. So it is more there fun. Is a, that's what I'm saying. You're, that's, there a is a gr- that's a lot. <laughs> there is a gross bonus, not a net bonus, because you're missing the cost. The cost is the added money, the added setup time, and the added table space. And that cost outweighs the bonus of the clickety-clack for me. right? So I'm not saying I don't get any fun from, from toys. It's just about often the cost outweighs it. You're saying that... <laughs> The more money you pay for a game detracts from the fun? Yes. I definitely like, think it can. Interesting. Okay, okay. Welcome to being poor. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yeah. Me, uh, <laughs> do you want to no, go? For- yeah, yeah. No, I want to I hear more about that. I want to hear more about that. I mean, if Evan's on the same page as me, it's just like you have a limited budget of games uh, or yeah. of money spent on games, right? And so if I spend all of my budget on one game, then I need that to be as fun as two games, right? That I could have spent my budget on. Otherwise, I feel like I could have gotten those two games and had more fun. That that that's really all there is to it. Like it needs to make up for it. And so I'm kind of like intrinsically just thinking like, oh, man, I spent 100 bucks on this and it's not the best thing ever. Eh, I'd rather have spent 50 and just gotten two good things, you know, but sure, I'll spend a hundred dollars on my favorite game of all time. I have, I have TI four and the expansions, yeah. because then it's like it's truly worth it. It's like the best experience ever. I I think there is also a little bit of a not sunk cost fallacy, but sunk cost expectation. Where yeah, if I, I spend that. fifty dollars on two games and both games are boring or are bad, I'm out fifty bucks. I can probably flip them for forty. I'm only out ten dollars. <laughs> That's a night of the movies. But if I spend like three, I'll use um, uh, Yucatan as an example of that because that was a fairly recent, like very high toy factor game that was not well reviewed when it came out. Um, the all in on that Kickstarter was like $200 and $300, somewhere in there. And that feels bad, especially since yeah. it's bad because now you're not going to be able to flip it for a $10 loss. You're flipping it for a $100 loss, a $200 loss. And so mentally you kind of feel like you kind of got hit twice because there's the initial cost of the game and you spent an hour learning it an hour playing it and it just feels like you've lost way more than you've actually gained from the experience this also might be a me thing but there's like some level of 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 anxiety when i see like a hundred dollar game on my shelf and i'm not playing Mm -hmm. it it feels like somehow i'm losing money but if it's like a ten dollar game and I play it once a year, eh, whatever. It's a ten dollar game. But I have like a like a big box of Etherfield sitting on my shelf. I paid like hundred fifty bucks for that. I haven't played it in like a year, and I just like look at it and I get like this anxiety inside, and you're like, oh man, should I sell that? Like I'm not, I'm. It's not. Is it worth just like collecting dust for hundred fifty bucks? I don't know. So that's the thing. It's like when I'm going in to buy a game, unless if it's expensive, I have to be like pretty confident that I'm going to love it enough to play it often to justify the cost. And so just like going into a more expensive game, just taking a seat at it, I'm like, I think I'm more critical than I otherwise would be. Like I'm just less critical of a $20 game than I am of a $100 game. Oh man, that's interesting. Because I was just thinking it'll happen, like if I spend a bunch of money on a game, 
I like really want to like it because I want to get my money's worth. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also a little bit more critical of it because I'm like, all right, you better really blow me away because I spent a lot of money on you. <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah. whereas and, when I'm let down by a cheap game, it's like, eh. And I think that's a fair expectation. I, I think that's a fair, like, if I charge more for this, like, it better be worth it. Like, from, yeah. a, from a person mm-hmm. who's designing a product, like, that is uh, like totally within the realm of like, you know, I think it's fair to judge a product. Like, you judge it against what you paid for it for sure. There's also a shelf space aspect of this where those more expensive toy factor mm-hmm. games tend to take up more. And yeah. if I have two games that I think are absolute nine out of tens and that one game is like a seven out of 10 and it's taking up the space that two nine out of tens could be taking, <laughs> that's also my inclination to be a little bit less into it because it's like I could have Heaven and Ale and Medici and like a third game <laughs> oh, fitting dang, in that same dang. space that Yucatan is taking up. Why would I hang on to this? Like, why did I buy this? Why did I do this to myself? Yeah. 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 Something else that um, you kind of touched on there, Robert, and I want to dig into it a little bit, is you mentioned that you own Twilight Imperium and a man who's famously against expansions also owns the expansion (laughs) to Twilight Imperium. Does your minimalism carry into games that are 10 out of 10s for you? Like, if this is your favorite game, would you go out and get like, a professionally printed version of the codexes or would you get like the neoprene mat does your minimalism prevent you from doing that for something that you know you're never going to part with i uh, i don't have the codexes printed out i don't have a <laughs> neoprene mat for it um i have an insert for it but the insert is to speed up setup time so i think yeah it's just like if it gives me more fun then yes and generally those things don't and even like just like thinking about storing a mat right now i'm like <laughs> uh, i don't want to <laughs> No way. <laughs> there's no way that Matt's happening. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely there's more leniency, right? If you love a game, then you're more willing to to pay a bit more for it or to bling it mm-hmm. out because then it feels more worth it. Because it's almost like you're you're showing the game that you care in a way, maybe. I'm not sure. But I have to already love it, I think. And what you're talking about is also like dollars to fun. Like that that is ultimately the equation that, yeah, that it comes of, down of to. Course. So it's also like how often is you're gonna are are you gonna play it? Right, like, yeah. like mm-hmm. there is a break-even point where the magnet upgrade. If you're playing Fractured mm-hmm. Sky every week, like, how many times you, you got to click mm-hmm. those magnets before it's worth the extra? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how much extra it costs. Thirty right cents now. a click, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought to you by Fractured Sky. Yeah, yeah, coming to re- coming to retail in uh, a couple weeks. Oh yeah, pretty yeah. soon. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. It is a great game for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> I did go all in on it, man. I went for it because I was able to play it too I, um, on on online, which helped. Because that's I think that's another big thing is yeah. like when Kickstarters try to sell me like these big cool minis for you know fifty bucks. I'm like, I haven't even played the game, guys. <laughs> like, like if it's rad, yeah, I, I'll bling it out and I'll I'll upgrade that experience and I'll make it like um, something that my friends and we all just look at the cool big tower the cool action figure minis you know like but if the game sucks well so so the the other thing the thing that you just almost brought up is there are people who just want it for the toy factor like i think there are games out there that it's just like well like the game might be terrible but like these minis are dope and i love a great mini and that's obviously super valid right it's just like this is gonna be great for my Mm -hmm. rpg collection and so i think there are some games that are a little bit like value prop wise like toy forward where it's just like this is a reason for you to buy these toys. The game might be fun, but like it doesn't matter because you, this dragon mini is so cool. 
those people are my best friends. I bought a <laughs> copy of Ankh from somebody yeah. who took out all the minis because they just wanted to paint the minis. They didn't actually really? play games. And I got it for like way cheaper. Yeah. And then I just replaced it with cubes and cylinders that I nice. bought. I want to circle back way <laughs> earlier in the conversation um, where you were talking about Christopher Nolan and, you know, wanting the experience to be a certain way. And that at a mass market, you can't really do that. But I'm thinking about um, Whirly Gig Games which kind of caters to not a mass market audience, but to a very niche audience. And they tailor their games to be a very certain way. So like PAX Premier, it could have a cardboard board. It doesn't. It has a cloth board. It could have, you know, little cubes. It doesn't. It has clay or resin or something. Resin, yeah. Yeah, blocks. Is that pretentious toy factor? And I don't mean pretentious as in I'm no. accusing Cola being pretentious. I just mean is that... Do we look down on the plastic and the minis because it's a little bit more toyish, but when we get something that feels more earthy, it becomes less a toy? I, I don't look down on it. I think I think those games know what they are and they're trying to be something very specific. Yes. And I admire creative projects that like stick to a vision and like are yeah, I, I admire like that specificity, and I think it's okay for things to not be for everyone. I I think that like I don't know that that's a really tough one because like I want games to be accessible and I want other people to get them, but I also admire specificity like in all forms of of art. Like I don't mm-hmm. think that everyone should mm-hmm. like a twenty four films are not for everyone, but like and Marvel films are like they are meant to be for everyone, and I think those are they're both amazing like in their own right because they're trying to be two different things like a24 films are trying to like target a specific audience and and that's really hard to do well and like successfully and economically successfully and i think that like making a marvel film that is good is just unbelievably difficult um and i have like great respect for both um and i think that board games needs both as well there might be a certain point where it does become like a limitation of like the publisher like maybe they don't have the funds or ability or shipping whatever to make two different versions right like Mm -hmm. even if one is cheaper like they kind of can only do one version so if they're going to do one they're going to make it you know even if it's a little bit more you know deluxed out or like has some nicer components like they can do that but they couldn't afford to make a whole second version yeah, I think setting up that question, I use Toy Factor as more of a pejorative than I should have. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is there actually a difference between that delicacy in the production? Like to Zach's point, it's I think I'm seeing it more after this conversation as they're kind of the same thing. It's just my personal biases are a little bit more against the all the plastic. But if it's, hey, we're in, you know, the great game and we're in Afghanistan at the turn of the century and we're going to have like a cloth board that does something to my brain more than, hey, we're going to have these six inch tall miniatures and they're going to duke it out in this battle of dice sort of thing. I think I think they're they're toys for different audiences. That's kind of what yeah. it is. Or it kind of goes back to what Zach was saying, like the holistic yeah. thing, like that, like that cloth mat that you play on, like gives a certain vibe and it kind of not just like a vibe, but it kind of gives it like a certain level of like respect even. Like I, I always felt that way that it feels like it, it treats the subject matter with a certain level of like, no, we're not just going to give you a cheap cardboard board. Like this is a serious topic. And so we're going to, you know, do it seriously. Give it, you know, care and attention. Yeah, I get that. But, but yeah, to, like also to your point, like I do think like the toy, when you say the word toy factor, I'm thinking like 
kid like toys I buy my kids in Walmart, yeah. right? And they're they're like just filled with plastic mm-hmm. and like have like that that's what a toy like comes to my mind. But then there's also like the wooden Montessori toys mm-hmm. that like we also buy our kids. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the biggest blinged out games usually have a big splash, and then after a year or so, maybe you hear a little bit less, whereas... Here's the thing, is like, I don't think Toy Factor affects staying power. Like, I don't, I I think, like, Toy Factor is is more of an A, uh, salt, a spice, like, something that, like, enhances something that is underlyingly great. Um, It, and, like... It, it, I think Toy Factor brings a game to the table a lot, like plays one through five. But then like after that, like the Toy Factor is still very fun, but is not why you're going to play it after that. Like Toy Factor sells, like it, mm-hmm. it sells on Kickstarter. Yeah. Like it, it is, it is a gateway like into something um, for sure. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. is like from a business yeah. standpoint, very important. Like you, you have been saying. You also need longevity. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's like, but, but like that toy factor like brings another level of what I think is fair scrutiny, like towards the game itself. Like it better be worthy mm. of that like shelf mm-hmm. investment of the mm-hmm. cost investment. Like I think the toy factor brings a greater scrutiny mm-hmm. to the underlying like probably game design, like pure game design. Mm-hmm. So for impromptu segment about our favorite game, we're going to do the one that we love that has the biggest toy factor. And I think we've collectively agreed that we're not going to choose Botswana because we would all choose Botswana if we could. It's a big ding. Um, more specifically, the Japanese version of Botswana, which I think is the version that we all own. Yeah. Um, it has yeah. these delightful little animal meeples uh-huh. that are just big enough that they're not too big but the perfect size to just like grab, manipulate, stack. There's so much fun you can do with Botswana. I think what I'm going to say for mine is the little minis in Guards of Atlantis 2. I think that game is really, really cool. Uh, Excellent piece of design work as far as cooperative games go. Uh, It's a cooperative head-to-head game, so you're on, uh, which is a fancy way of saying it's a team game. Uh, So there's two teams going against each other, and there are little minis in it. And all the minis kind of represent different heroes and different powers that you have. And it's realistically a positional card game, but it just does something for me that I really like. I think it's the the teamwork aspect to it because that's not normally a genre game I'm huge into, but I really like it. The sculpts look really good. It just adds something and it adds a little bit of personal flavor when you have such a unique look to your character that's representing you on the board. I think my pick is going to be Marvel United, specifically the X-Men set that comes with the three giant Sentinels. These are maybe the biggest minis I've seen. I'm sure there's a bigger one. I think I've, I think you guys mentioned the Cthulhu has like a, yeah, that one's like the giant table size one. Not that big, but they're probably like, a, they're, they're maybe like 10 inches or so tall and there's three of them and they're just static. They're not, they don't move or anything. And then they're just the big Sentinel robots. And that's just the villain that you go up against. And I mean, it takes up like half the box and they could just be minis like all the other minis, but there's just something about that size that makes it feel different. And it's kind of like the the dark tower thing maybe, but like I just, the first time that me and my friends played with that, we were just laughing so much. We just thought it was so cool. Just, we were like taking pictures of our minis, like up against their minis, like at like these extreme angles and stuff. Like it just, the, the, the whole like theater, the mind thing. I mean, it just, it just elevated the whole experience. And I mean, they were, 
100% unnecessary, Mm. complete waste of plastic and space. And, you know, like it, they kind of annoy me that they take up so much space, but like, I I can't deny that it it just was so much fun to play with it. So, um, I don't know, it's sticking around. It's worth the space on the closet for, for now still anyway. I was going to do a minis one, but I decided not to. Just to spite Zach. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why does it spite me? Because then, because I think it proves your point a little too much. So I'm going to pick a different game that proves your point less. Uh, so my pick uh, is Barrel Dice. Um, I think it has a German name, like mm. Folterfass or something like this. I don't know. But it's a little push-your-luck dice game. Um, I have the Korean edition, but all the editions have the same idea, which is that the dice are barrels of beer. And like thematically, one person's a bartender and they roll the dice. So you take these, these barrels of beer, you throw them in a cup and you shake the cup and then you lay the, ca- the, the cup flat on the table and you reveal. And on the top and bottom, like flat sides of the barrel, there's some number, which is like a roll. And if a barrel is laying flat on its side, it's like uh, you rolled a blank, essentially. So they're effectively three-sided dice, mm-hmm. right? You have the two uh, faces and then you have the miss. So it could be a D6 with two of each symbol, but it's not. It's actual barrels. And there's something about this that just makes it really fun. It gives you like the pub kind of bar vibe. And also it makes the odds difficult to know for sure because is it actually effectively a D3? Like I don't know what the odds are of a, of a like cylindrical object landing on its <laughs> side versus on one of the faces. So it takes all of the calculation really out of the push your luck. It's just purely on feel. And the way that you bust in the game is if you roll none of, like, all your barrels are length down. So you understand that if you're rolling less dice, there's a higher chance of busting, right? That's just intuitive. You get that. But, like, the actual odds, you have no idea. It's not really like it's a one in three of busting because, I mean, there's more side than there are flat faces. And, like, rolling them is weird. You might knock one over. I have no idea how the odds work on that kind of an object. Uh, So for mine, I'm going to choose Foundations of Rome. I think that... Mm. Oh. It's got massive toy factor with those buildings. It's the mm-hmm. only version of the game that you can get. Mm-hmm. It is not necessary, but it also is necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is like so like integrated mm-hmm. with why I think that game is so popular and why it is such a hit everywhere I bring it. Like it's a hit with my parents. It's a hit with mm-hmm. like diehard gamers. I, and I think it's impossible to separate it from the toy factor of those buildings and and just like the the feel of it uh, and i love it it's a very fun game and it's it i think it's it is backed up the game design of it warrants such an investment and a massive amount of space on your shelf which could be a hot take i'm i you might all disagree with me but guess what it's not going to be the only version you can buy soon oh we're coming out with foundations yeah. of metropolis which is a non-blinged up version of it oh, all right so i might finally try the game mm. robert <laughs> you're missing out so much i just i just I'm sorry. You haven't tried it. You haven't if I had unlimited it, space and money. I, no, I've not played it. Robert, we have been <laughs> to cons together where the game is available. It's not you you're just not playing it out of spite because of the toy factor. Are you Assuming that spite is a synonym for principle, <laughs> yes. Are I, they are overlapping circles, certainly. <laughs> uh, There's a Venn diagram of spite and principle, and Robert's right there. Yeah, middle. Robert's right there. I actually think Robert would really like the game, but I also don't think he would like it enough to be worth the size of the box. Currently. I feel that way too. I, it's, em- it's Emerson Matsuchi, right? I like Emerson. Yeah, but I like Emerson. I'm sure I, I understand like your it. reasons for avoiding buying it. I don't understand your reasons for avoiding playing it. 
It's the spite. Because what if I like it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then there's this internal like a fight of like, is it worth buying? I can't have that. I'll just play Metropolis. I don't it's, want to deal with the It's a tough decision, arguments. Robert. That's what games are about. Yeah, but games decisions aren't real. That's the difference. That's why games are fun. <laughs> what is real, Robert? That's the magic. You're, you're definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that kind of wraps up episode 23 of Cardboard Philosophy. Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a tremendous amount of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's great. Very if fun. Uh, people want to hit you up, is there anything that uh, you kind of got cooking or any places they can look for you in particular? Yeah. Um... I don't know. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but really just like all the Ivy stuff. Um, we got uh, Veiled Fate expansions coming out uh, on Kickstarter next, and then we've got a, a slew of projects coming out this year. So yeah, just uh, by Ivy, Ivy Games on Instagram. Awesome. If you want Sweet. more Cardboard Philosophy in your life, we are on most podcasting apps. You can also email us at cardboardphilosophypod at gmail.com. Scott did that a couple weeks ago. Shout out to him. Uh, our first piece of listener mail. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> yep. Um, that was the last episode he listened to. Um, you can also comment on our BGG guild. And uh, we'll see you here in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Play some games. Mm-hmm.